Before we begin, join me in prayer. Father, I thank you so much, first and foremost, uh, that you have blessed us to join you in ministry here in Colorado Springs, that you have blessed us to join hand in hand together with fellow brothers and sisters in, in you, um, to love each other, to equip each other, to edify each other, also to correct each other when we need correction, to love one another, Lord. I'm just so grateful that we have this body here that you have blessed us with. Um, and we just thank you so much for everything you have given us. We thank you for everything you're preparing us for. And Father, we want to be obedient to the call that you have given us. So you go before us. Go before us in this message today. Have our hearts be prepared to hear what the Spirit would have us hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we're going to spend time in Genesis chapter 11 through 14, talking about Abram. In last week's message, Jason covered that the Tower of Babel represented man's attempt to create unity apart from God. And in that, Babel, that tower, that representation of pride, was their source of comfort. It was comfort of their own abilities. We, if we're being honest, are often tempted to create unity in anything but Christ. We are often tempted to create unity in things like political beliefs, what we do for a living, our vocation, the sports team that we root for, schools that we attend, the churches, the affiliations, the denominations that we participate in, the side of town that we live on, even the good works that we do, and yes, even taking pride and comfort in our theological circles. If you aren't careful, you will find yourself dying on any of these hills instead of living on the hill of Jesus with your brothers and sisters and the people in your community. So are there any comforts in your life that attempt you, that tempt you to set aside the things of God? Are there comforts in your life that you worship over God? A job, a spouse, a child, a friend, a neighbor, political ideologies, again, non-essential doctrinal or theological positions. Is your love unconditional or is it conditional on whether or not somebody feeds your comfort? It should be rather unconditional based on the foundations found in Jesus Christ through Scripture. Whatever it is or whatever it could be, the prayer is that you would ask the Lord to reveal those comforts in your life simply so that you can walk away from them when you need to. What would your response be if the Lord called you to give up these comforts, to leave these figurative countries of yours behind and seek a residence that is not of this world? Well, if you ask God, I imagine he is faithful and he will show you. And when he does, what would your response be? What would you do? What should you do? Number one, recognize. You have to first recognize that you have a comfort, that there is something that you hold on to, something that is temporal, that will, that will vanish. Recognize it. The second thing you have to do is respond and respond well. The proper response, once you've recognized that you've been giving in to comforts of this world at the cost of truth in Christ, is to repent. Prioritize turning in a 180 degree from your comfort 
and those things in your life. So after you've recognized you have these comforts and you've responded well, you've repented of those things and turned 180 degrees, your next thing to do is to be reconciled. First, be reconciled to God. Second, be recognized to your brother and sister. Any of those that you may have intentionally or unintentionally offended as a result of your comfort. After you've been reconciled, know that you are redeemed. Redemption is the process by which you can be saved from death and hell through the blood of Jesus Christ. To be redeemed, you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And in believing, you will be saved. Then you will be restored. This is the best part, church, the restoration. We'll see a lot of that today in the sermon. Being restored in the relationship you have with God and with others. The process of restoration places you in a right relationship with God and your brothers and sisters. So the five things, recognize that you do have a comfort. We all do. Every one of us in here today has a comfort that we could do well to get rid of, or at least to hold loosely. Respond and repent. Turn to Jesus Christ. Let these things go. Be reconciled to God and to others. Seek redemption in Christ and be restored. And so the big question is how? How do we do this? How do we start? Psalms 139, 23 through 24 paints the picture. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It begins with God and it ends with God. There is no other beginning worth pursuing but him for his instructions are sure. He will reveal to you areas of your life that you will need to leave behind and follow him. My desire today is that you would see that true, lasting, dependable comfort is not found in the world, but in Jesus Christ. And I'll say that again, if you, there's no bulletin, then that's fine. You have a phone, you can text it to someone right now, or you can write it on a piece of paper. True, Lasting, dependable comforts are not found in this world. They are found in Jesus Christ. That's what God did with Abram. It began with God showing Abram that there was something he would need to leave behind. So if you will, turn to Genesis 11. We'll begin at verse 27. Today we are exploring the historical events that took place after the Tower of Babel, when God confused the language of men and dispersed them throughout all the earth. It begins with the lineage of a man named Abram. Genesis 11:27 says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. 
So Abram's father sets out to leave their home country and to journey to Canaan. Stopping short in Haran, they never did make it to the land of Canaan. Now Haran in ancient, is an ancient city that's about 300 miles northeast of Israel, which is known as eastern Turkey today. It's just east of the Euphrates River. And it was home to Sabian peoples who worshipped the Mesopotamian god Sin, who was the moon god. Uh, his name was Sin. Ironic. Um, it was the same Haran where Terah settled with his family, and there Terah died. This would have been a familiar place for Terah, because in, the Ur, in Ur of Chaldeans, that was one of the main temples, one of the main temples for the Mesopotamian god, moon god Sin, was located, the very home that Terah came from. So naturally, it makes sense that once he got to Haran and they had the temples there, that was a place of comfort for him. He knew what to expect there. He had been living there his whole life with, these, with this uh, worship of false gods. And so in Joshua 24.2, Scripture says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. So we see here the, the confirmation. Abram's family worshipped false gods. Soon, Abram would receive a call to leave this country, to leave this country that he is so comfortable and familiar with, and journey to a land that God would give him and all his descendants. What country and comforts is Abram called to leave? What is going on in this land? Why is God calling him to pack everything and abandon it? Abandon his father, his brothers, his relatives, his jobs, neighbors, everything. Well, God has something much different for Abram. God has a comfort that is true, pure, and everlasting. A true, lasting, and dependable comfort, not found in the world, but found in the Lord. So if we want to understand what this country must have looked like, we can turn to Romans and listen to what Paul has to say about countries like this. He gives us a detailed description that helps us understand what countries look like when they worship false gods. Romans 1.28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Paul then goes on to describe specific passions, comforts, uh, and, and other details in depth. Today we see them manifested in our society today. Our society is, is, is overwhelmed with passions and comforts such as homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, assisted suicide, idolizing political, uh, political figures, gambling, pornography, human trafficking, drunkenness, murder, hate, adultery, materialism, and this list can go on and on and on. Right outside these walls, we see these things happening. Who in their right mind wants to live in a place like this? The natural man, that's who. He wants to be here. He wants to live in a place just like this. It's all he knows, it's comfortable. He doesn't know anything different. Add she in there. She doesn't know anything different. I know what it's like to live in a place like that. I was trapped in it for a long time. 
a life of sin. I was given over to an immoral mind, a debased mind, and a wretched heart. I was in bondage to all of these sins. The chains were strong and the yoke was very heavy. It was too much to bear, guys. And the, the, the biggest problem is I couldn't escape it, or so I thought. Even crazier, I knew better. People know better. I knew that the life I was living was wrong. I knew that I was going against God. I may not have known him, but because of his faithfulness, he didn't let me reject him. I didn't know God, but he wouldn't let me reject him. I loved my sin so, so much. People in this world, apart from Christ, they love their sin. They love it. You guys ever try to take something away from someone that loves it that much? Take a toy from a child, and what do they do? Right? I gave in to all sorts of passions and lusts. Be a little bit transparent with you guys. I lived a life where adultery was applauded and abortion was an opportunity. The mindset where something is only illegal when you get caught. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Eye for an eye type of revenge. Substance abuse was no big deal. In fact, the music I listened to, the movies I watched, the friends that I had applauded and valued me more when I did these things. My value was measured by, by how sinful I could be. It's backwards. Hmm. It was all a game, really. This life of sin is just a game. How far can you take it? How deep can you go? How long can you last before you finally get caught? A game that I played, I can go all the way back to my earliest memories at the age of five when I remember clearly sin creeping into my life. And it lasted all the way until I was 34 years old. It still knocks at my door today. Anybody else? Does sin knock at your door? Raise your hands if sin is knocking at your door every day. The difference is, in a previous life, you answer it with no problem. You don't even look through the peephole. You hear the knock, you're like, ooh, I want to let him in. Nowadays, you hear a knock at the door, you kind of, maybe you got a gun, you're like, oh, I don't know about this. Who's at my door? Right? You got your Bible. You just throw it, right? You bring your Bible to the door with you. You look through the peephole. Sad things is, sin sometimes dresses up like righteousness. Oh, I got to go on. But this life, this life that I lived, this game that I played for so long, was a wretched life. But nonetheless, it was my comfort. I was comfortable here. I wanted to be here. And if we're being real, we can all start to see that Abram was not living in the best environment. Remember, it's a land of false god worshiping. And we know what that looks like. Any place where man worships false gods is a wretched place. If Abram was ever going to see this clear enough to leave, God would need to reveal it to him. I'll say that again. If Abram was ever going to see clear enough 
to want to leave, God had to reveal it to him. How many of you guys have felt like you have to reveal it to someone? We can be a light in a person's world and give them the truths of God, but if they're ever going to see clear enough to want to leave, God has to do that work. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. So, this, that's exactly what happens. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the great call of God to Abram. It's one calling that happens in progression. It's over time. And our understanding of that calling becomes clearer the more we go on this path. Sometimes we wake up and we want to have it all right away, but that's just not how it works. It takes time and, and faith. It requires patience, humility, and more importantly, faith in the Lord. A faith that Abram had. He embraced the calling of God and continued in the transformative journey of faith with the Lord and away from his comforts. Soon, Abram would realize through experience that true, lasting, dependable comforts do not come from this world, but from the Lord. Genesis 12, 4, so Abram went. That's simple. God called him, said, hey, this world you're living in right now, this country, the sinful stuff that you want to do so bad, you got, <laughs> that's got to go. You know it too, Abram. You know it too, Mike. So get up and leave. Gird yourself by the loins. Be a man. Be a woman. And leave. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Guys, he was 75 years old. He wasn't a young man. 75. Abram was not young. In fact, those beautiful lineages that we talk about that they're like chapters long, so-and-so begot so-and-so. At this age, he, he died, and we pray that you guys would want to, to, to study those in depth because they are rich. They open up more of the scriptures when you read and study through them. In fact, Abram was 58 years old when Noah died. That means there were 10 generations that were alive at some point during Abram's life. He was 58 when Noah died. That makes me think, huh, maybe this is why Abram was able to respond to God, because he's heard all about him from generations of men. God always preserves a remnant. 58 when Noah died. Pretty cool, huh? How old were you when you were called to the journey with God? Have you been called to journey with God? Has God called you to leave your country, your comforts, with the promise that you will one day live in a new land, a new home, and receive true, lasting, dependable comforts that are only found in Jesus? Have you gotten this call? Well, that's the call for today. Leave your country. 
Leave your comforts, church, and journey to the land of the Lord. Now, I'm going to share something a little bit later. I want to encourage you guys by showing you all who are here today. Some are at the women's retreat. Some are watching online. I have evidence that you have all stood up and answered the call to leave a comfort of yours. I'm going to share that in a little bit. It's a call to repent and believe that Jesus is the Son of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. You will be healed and receive that hope you have been searching for. It's a call for those in Christ to repent of comforts that are not keeping in step with the will of God. Yes, guys, repentance is not just for the lost, but it's also for us. We too have to seek where in our lives we need to repent of things that are not within step with God. The calling I propose here is more of a metaphor, unless you've been called to leave this literal country for whatever purpose. For most people, this calling is a call to leave behind sin-filled life, one that is rebellious to God, one that opposes him, and definitely one that is causing division amongst the people of God. Turn, repent, and believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, is Lord and Savior. Join hand in hand with God's people as we work to bring glory to God. Through the transforming of lives by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission, church. That's Hope Chapel's mission. Friday night, Tiffany and I had dinner with a group of pastors, gang leaders, gang enforcement officers, and Mayor Yemi of Colorado Springs. There's a few initiatives in our city right now that have worked to help end gang violence, poverty and homelessness, substance abuse, and to respond to the overwhelming mental health crisis here in Colorado Springs. At the table was a gentleman named Lil Snoop, and another one that they called the mayor. Now these are local previous gang leaders that have um, ultimately, they came to know the Lord, Jesus Christ, and they became instrumental in leading the cause alongside, alongside um, certain pastors in our city. Now what these men, Lil Snoop and the mayor, what they once enjoyed was no longer attractive to them. They knew something was wrong. They knew they weren't living you know, a, a good life. There was something off. And so they searched, and they kept looking and seeking. And if you know one thing, there's, in our community, the community of people we serve, the outside world, we are the last ones they want to come to. Do you know that? The world doesn't think they can trust us. Okay? But God softened their heart and brought them to a church that loved on them and poured into them and taught them about grace. And, I, and they gently led them through the process of repentance. These men heard the calling of the Lord. They were called to leave their country of comforts and to repent of their sins and believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. These men, little Snoop and the mayor, along with the hundreds of other people that they have helped bring to Christ, understood and they learned that true, lasting, dependable comforts are not found in the world, but they're found in Jesus Christ. Now, hearing these men tell their stories helped me see 
that when they were called by God, they too, like Abram, were called to leave their country. For them, all they knew was gang life. But God called them to something bigger. They struggled, and they still do. But they continue to wake up each morning and commit to leaving that country. Abram had to commit each day to the calling on his life. They left their comforts, all while helping others come to know peace through Christ. At the conclusion of the dinner, Mayor Yemi shared, and I wholeheartedly agree with him on this, that it is not the government's duty to do this work, but the church's. This is a politician saying it's not his job. He's also a brother in the Lord, First Presbyterian Church. A politician saying it's not his job, it's not this city's job, it's the church's job to do this work. And so he called upon the churches, the pastors there at this dinner, and asked us to stand up and make a difference in our community. Um, this was an appointment made by God for such a time as this. The excitement of witnessing God's plan in action is palpable, right? Connected, connectedness, Christ to community, is our theme for this year. Now, this theme was, we sat down and prayed about this before the new year even happened. Connectedness, Christ to community, is what we're focusing on this year. And this is where I see you guys here right now, and those who just aren't here today, I've seen you respond to the calling to leave your country, to leave your comforts. Because when we sat in the room at a shared table and announced that we were moving our church to a location in a city that's not the most delightful location, you guys are still here. You're still here. You know where we're going. You know what God has put on our hearts, and you're still here. That's a response. And I'm grateful that God has moved all of our hearts to do this work. As much as we witness his attempts to thwart our direction, I'm talking about the enemy now, because as we responded to the call, the enemy, no doubt, doesn't want it to go down like that. He wants to thwart us. But God's plan is much bigger than what anything the enemy can conjure up. When God calls his people, he bids them to leave their country and follow him. And so that, again, is the call today. Leave your country. Genesis 12, 5 through 9. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brothers, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they, had, that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place that, at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still, going toward the Negev. An important observation here in this text is the instructions that God gave Abram. Most of us have heard, um, you know, certain songs, Father Abraham had many sons, and he had, he had great faith, but seldom do we sit down and, and, and go through this whole story and, and pick apart the details. It shows us something very profound when we take time to do it. Abram, in fact, did not follow God's instructions exactly. Abram was told to leave his relatives, yet we see he brings his nephew Lot along for the journey. 
The important note here is that the promises of God were never dependent upon Abram's ability to follow his instructions. They were never dependent upon that. The promises of God were dependent upon the righteousness of God, his grace and mercy. It was an unconditional promise that God made to Abram. There are numerous occasions where Abram lacked faith in God. This, isn't ju- this is just one of them. And he took matters into his own hands. For starters, we, we mentioned he, he took Lot along for the journey when he was told, leave your relatives behind. Later, he would give his wife away to another man, twice. Abram also married another woman and had a child with her. If God's promises were dependent upon Abram's ability to follow his instructions, we'd be in a lot of trouble right now. But again, God's promises were not dependent upon Abram. The promises of God were fully dependent upon the righteous grace and mercy of God our Father in heaven. Likewise, the promises of God for your salvation are not dependent upon your ability to follow his instructions perfectly. Your salvation is dependent upon God's righteousness, grace, and mercy. When a covenant is made, when a promise is made, I'll take marriage as an example because I think we can all agree it's pretty central. When a marriage proposal, or not a proposal, but when when a promise of marriage is given, all these things are said, and then it's concluded with what? Till death do us part, right? That means anything I've said before I said that stands until I die. Or you die. My spouse, not you guys. But anything I said. So if I said, I will be faithful to you. I will, I will stay in covenant relationship with you till death do I part. That means anything you do from this point until the day I die cannot cause me to break my covenant, or it shouldn't at least. That's what this covenant is between God and Abram, between God and you. When God says, believe and repent, and you will be saved, you will not perish but receive eternal life. The moment you believed and repented, that promise was yours. And anything you do from that point until the day of judgment, nothing you do takes that away. It can't go away. Otherwise, he's not God. He's not perfect. He's not faithful. It's an unconditional promise. Despite Abram's efforts, the concerns of this world impacted him still. So he leaves this country of comforts and says, okay, Lord, I'm going to follow you. He leaves them. But what comes while he's traveling through the land of Canaan is a great famine. We all face trials in our faith. When we respond to God, I believe, I repent, I go on my journey with God. Something always happens in this walk of faith. They're called trials, afflictions. Well, Abram had one. It was a famine. And as a result, where did he go? Egypt. He goes to Egypt during this time of famine. Genesis 12, 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. 
Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister. Will you do this for me? My beautiful wife, tell them you're my sister. That, I, that it may go well with me because of you. I want you to give yourself up so that I will be okay. <laughs> and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, she, he dealt, Pharaoh, for her sake, Sarai's sake, he dealt with Abraham. He dealt with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. In a nutshell, people, Abram gives his wife to Pharaoh in exchange for riches. What? It couldn't be much more clear. A plain reading of this passage sends chills through me. It, it sends chills through me. A man afraid of losing his life asks his wife to marry another man so that he might live. It seems as though Abram forgot that he was to leave his comforts behind. Here we see a man seeking after temporal comforts, the praises of men, camels, servants, shelter, everything else during a very difficult time of famine. My heart breaks for Sarai in this story. She has followed this man from her home country, journeyed through the desert, lived years of uncertainty, and now she's being given away to another man, a violation of her purity. And you know what? She goes through with it. She becomes a servant to the Pharaoh, a slave in bondage, a foreshadow of the bondage that Israel will face when they become slaves to Egypt later on. On account of Sarai, Abram is rewarded with riches. In fact, chapter 13, Moses records that now Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. It shouldn't be difficult to see the problem with this. There's lots of problems with this situation. How, long can a how low can a husband go to betray his wife? It actually ends up getting lower than even this. But we're going to cover that in a, in a future sermon. Genesis 12, 17 through 20 says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now, as, as, as nasty as this is, this abomination right here, there's actually a silver lining. There's actually a very beautiful picture that we see here. And that beautiful picture is the idea of marriage being a sacred ordinance between one biological man and another and one biological female. In this sacred marriage that is to be held in a high regard next to one's relationship with God, we see something very beautiful. The image here is of a bride, that being Sarai, and her groom, Abram. In this case, we see a groom giving away his bride to save his own life. 
In the case of Christ, who is a groom, he gives away his life for his bride, not the other way around. Thomas Watson wrote this, Christ had no regard for his life. He leaped into the sea of his father's wrath to save his spouse from drowning. What a beautiful picture. So when we are tempted to see men of this world as worthy of praise, let us remember the things that happened in Scripture, the things that happened in our own past life. As great as Abraham was, his faith was strong. He was called by God to usher in the seed that would become Jesus Christ the Messiah. That's great stuff. Let us not hold him in such a high regard that we forget we are supposed to turn to Christ because Christ will give his life for his bride, not the other way around. As a result, this Pharaoh experienced the jealousy of God, plagues and diseases God God put on the Pharaoh. Well, it was God who was going to deliver both Sarai and Abram from this bondage. Again, another foreshadow that's coming up in the future when Israel becomes a bondage to Egypt. God would be the one who rescues them because it is God who sent them on this journey in the first place. They would face great hardships, and they made many grievous mistakes, but their God would not leave them nor forsake them. He would go before them because their value never was in their ability to follow his instructions. Their value was in his righteousness. Rather, their value is in God's perfect, unshakable, all-knowing love for them. He called them and he would lead them to the completion of their role in his plan of redemption. And he does. The Lord once again would once again teach them that true, lasting, dependable comforts are not found in this world, but in the Lord. He goes up against the most powerful man in the land of Egypt and shows his might. He brags about his love for his future people, those who carry the seed of the promised Messiah. He strikes Pharaoh with supernatural events, plagues, diseases that would cause him to demand these people to go. Get out of here so that your God will stop coming down upon me. Again, foreshadow of the Israel nation being delivered from Egypt. In our journey with God, we too, like Abram, find ourselves in moments when our faith wavers and we take things into our own hands. At least I know I do. Despite this, God's plan for me and my life remains the same. Despite this, God's plan for you and your life remains the same. Our salvation rests upon the eternal promises of God through his son Jesus Christ, not our works or the lack thereof. He did not give us away. Rather, he gave himself away so that we could be redeemed, so that we would be redeemed. Think about the passion and everything that Jesus Christ went through for you for his righteousness fulfilled, for his promise kept. So what do you do when you find yourself veering from the path? What do you do when you realize that you have returned to your old ways, like Abram returning to Egypt? Don't be condemned, but walk uprightly in the truth. The truth is that you are still in Christ, 
and Christ is still in you. Pick yourself up by his strength. Dust yourself off, repent, and take a step forward. Genesis 13.1, so Abram went up from Egypt. He takes that step forward. He left his comforts back in Haran, journeys, ends up in Egypt, messes everything up again. God says, leave. He leaves again. He doesn't sit in Egypt and wallow. He leaves. He and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from there, or he journeyed on from Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Now sitting on that land with the Lord, speaking to him, was much like sitting next to a teacher who's providing you with some correction. And he's saying, hey, yeah, you messed that up. (laughs) Would we agree he messed that up? He messed that up. But he's reminded that true, lasting, and dependable comforts are not found in Egypt. They're not found in politics or government. They're not found in jobs and and, and, and even relationships, true, lasting, dependable comforts can only be found in Christ. Abram worshiped the Lord. How could he not? He returns in the same direction which he came, where he, planted, where he built an altar. He's reminded of the, of the promises of God, and he worships, he worships him. Nobody can go through what Abram went through and come out unscathed. Aside from likely feeling guilty or feeling guilt and remorse for having dishonored God, it is highly likely that he heard plenty about it from his wife Sarai. Despite all of this, I can imagine Abram reflecting on the forgiveness of God and the fact that the promise of God remained the same. How many of you guys, when you make a mistake, you get stuck in this place where it's so hard to even believe that everything's going to be okay, right? Like, we do something stupid, something we shouldn't be doing. We think a thought, and you're like, where did that come from? And you just question yourself. You question God. How can I possibly be on the right path? Well, God was going to bless Abram, and from him would come nations of people, regardless. The rest of chapter 13 tells us about the separation that occurred between Lot and Abram, right? Basically, Lot, we see Lot, there's not much that's talked about with Lot in this whole situation, other than you can make assumptions or inferences, you can infer that Lot is sitting here hanging on the coattail of Abram, right? Because Lot also has a lot of stuff. Could it be that even Lot was getting rich on account of Sarai? Right, So here's this guy, he's just hanging out with him the whole time. He ain't supposed to be there in the first place, but he's tagging along, right? Because it, it doesn't say Abram brought Lot, it said Lot went with Abram. Abram just let him come. And so by the time they leave and they get back to this place, they both have all these possessions and all this stuff, and basically it's one of those, this country ain't big enough for both of us kind of thing. So we got we to gotta separate And so Abram, being the wise uncle that he is, sits Lot down, this younger man. Now remember, Abram was 75 when he left. You know, it doesn't say specifically how old he is at this point, but he's probably, you know, 
you know, in between probably, what, 70, 80, 85 years old? Anyway, he's a little bit older. Lot could very well be 50 years old. But he sits Lot down. They're sitting there on this hill maybe. Maybe it's, it doesn't really say in Scripture where they actually sat. But I pictured it. I pictured he's sitting on a hill. And he's like, all right, Lot, check this out. We need to just separate. You know, and in his mind, he's thinking, you just been, you've been in pain in my butt this whole time. I just need you to go. Right? And so he said, pick, pick the direction you want to go. And so Lot gets up, and he looks, he looks around the lane, he looks over here. And he says, oh, that looks okay. Oh, but there's Canaanites and, and parasites over there. I, I don't, don't want to deal with those guys. So maybe he turns around, and he, I don't want to have my back towards you. So, oh, the parasites. And, oh, or here, oh, this is, this is pretty. This looks like the Garden of the Lord. It looks just like Egypt. I, I'm going to pick that side. Abram, you could take the parasites and, and, and Canaanites over there. I'm going to go over here where it looks bountiful. It, look, it looks beautiful. What, what's going on here? One side presents comfort. The other side presents discomfort. Lot has no idea what he's doing. He picks the side that looks comfortable. He says, I'm going to go over here. Little does he know there's something in that little valley or that land that's going to cause him a lot of drama pretty soon. And it's a place called Sodom. Right? And in Sodom, this is the same place where the men of the town attempted to have homosexual acts with angels. Again, that's another one that's coming in a couple of weeks. But I imagine Abram will do anything to get rid of this tag along. So he just says, okay, go. Go on and go down to that false comfort. Lot didn't know that true, lasting, dependable comforts were not found in that beautiful land, but they were found in Jesus Christ. Guys, listen, when we said we are going to plant our church, replant our church in a central location in Colorado Springs where it ain't so pretty, that could have scared a lot of people because it doesn't look comfortable. But sometimes the places that look comfortable could be the most dangerous places for you. They look too good to be true. Maybe that, that's real. They, it is too good to be true. It's going to feel good for a little while. Oh, that friend you want to hook up with and, and go hang out with? Yeah, he's cool. But you have no idea five years from now what, what could come out of that relationship. If you're only doing things in life based on your comfort, you're putting yourself in a very dangerous situation. We have to have wisdom and discernment when we're making decisions. Lot didn't have it, so he picked a good place. After the land was divided, we hear about this war that breaks out, Genesis 14, 14 through 18. I'm skipping ahead here. Uh, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Okay, look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. So after God, after Abram and Lot separate, now guess who's left and, and remains there? Abram. In the beginning, God said, you, Abram, leave all that you have and go. He was supposed to be alone. Now he comes back and he is alone. He has Sarai and he has his servants, but the gist of it is that he is there now before the Lord. And the Lord says, look again. He looks again and God reassures this promise. All the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. 
Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. We began today's story talking about Abram being called to leave his country. We've journeyed through Canaan with him. He brought along Lot, goes to Egypt, finds comfort in Egypt, gives away his wife to another man, deplorable. God delivers him. He goes back through the land of Canaan to the north, to this, to this land again, the second altar, separates with Lot. God sits him down and says, I still promise. My promise is still sure. Abram was called by God. He was an imperfect man, cursed with the curse of his father Abraham. You are called by God. Imperfect men and women, once cursed with the curse of Adam, now blessed with the blessing of Christ. God promised, and he will keep it. He did it for Abram, and he'll do it for you. He is doing it for you. But wait, there's more. After all of this, the greatest silver lining are lessons that we learn. When you make mistakes or unfortunate things happen to you, what do you respond with? What is your response? Do you automatically succumb to the woe is me trap? Or do you see all things as opportunities of sanctification and transformation being presented along your path? After Lot went down to the land of Sodom, there was a great war that broke out, and a bunch of kings fought a bunch of kings, and they took over the land of Sodom. Along with that, Abram gets a report they took, your, they took your nephew too and all his people and possessions. And so Abram gathers up, well, right here, 380 of his trained men, and they, he pursues this enemy to rescue Lot. He overcomes the enemy, and in return, they want to reward him. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Solomon, I have lifted, listen to this, the difference in the way Abram responds. I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the, and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share. You can't help but to see a man who has been changed. A man who once accepted riches for his own wife will now not accept anything from this king at all. He knows what it feels like to be bought. He knows what it feels like to have somebody hold something over his head. He learned his lesson, at least for now. He does it again, guys, like... When you make mistakes in your walk with God, you have to remember this story. You gotta rem this is why God gives us these scriptures. For us to know and be encouraged. Who is God? Who am I? God is perfect. I am not. God will never make mistakes. I always will. It's to be encouraging. Not to hang our head low. This is defeat. You are not defeated. If you are in Christ, you fall under his victory. 
in battle, when we would win a fight, the commander didn't raise his head up and all the soldiers put their head down. They were part of the victory. Our commander is Jesus Christ, who is victorious. And for us to hang our head low when we make a mistake is to actually abrogate the power of God in our life. Yep. I expect him to look like that. That's what the world says. But you know what blows people away, Seth? You know what blows people away, Tracy? When they look at you guys and they can't explain why in the world you're responding the way you're doing. How in the world are you so happy? Look what you just did. Hmm. Abram learned a valuable lesson here, and it's beautiful. At the end of it all, Moses shares Abram's journey. So this is Moses sharing his journey. Then in multiple instances reveals that through it all, Abram was a man of courage who trusted in God, despite his own failures. This is where faith of Abram stems from. His faith wasn't in himself. His faith was in God. His faith wasn't in Lot. It wasn't in his wife, Sarah. Sarai, at this time, it'll be Sarah soon. It wasn't in Isaac or Ishmael or Hagar or anybody. It wasn't in the king of Sodom. His faith was in God. So the call again is to press in, church. True, lasting, dependable comfort is not found in the world. It's only found in Christ. Have you already left your country? Have you already left your comforts and find yourself wavering in faith, hope, and love? Repent. It's that simple. Stop it. Turn to the Lord. Have you been called to leave your comforts, but you hesitate or feel resistant? Repent. Stop it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Do you hear the call but fear that people will come to find out who you really are and what you've really done? Stop it. Repent. Turn to the Lord. I want to hear what you've done so you don't have to hide anymore. God knows anyway. We are ready to hear people. We are ready to go out into this community. Are you ready? Are you ready to witness some nasty, vile, abominable things that people have done? The world's full of it. Or the second someone threatens your comfort, you're going to walk away. If we're real, we see it in church all the time. When you fall short, because you will, recognize your sinful ways. Respond and repent. Turn to Jesus. Be reconciled one to another and to God. Seek redemption in Christ. And finally, be restored. Be restored. True, lasting, dependable comforts are not in this world. They're in Jesus. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the calling on our life. We thank you for these examples of Abram. Search our hearts, O Lord. See if there be any evil wickedness in us. Reveal those comforts in our life. 
reveal those things that tempt us to walk away from our own brothers and sisters in this great family of yours that don't even matter. Prepare us for the journey ahead, Lord. There are people in this place that are hurting, that are broken, and we want them to know who you are. But it begins with us, Father. Work on us. Heal us. Show us the way that we must go. And then give us the strength to hold our head up in repentance and seeking forgiveness when we don't meet that mark. May we be forever grateful for the work that you have done in us, through us, by your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.